My wife gave me some advice this afternoon that I thought was pretty good. She, she told me to make sure to not give a two-hour lesson, but more importantly for me to make sure not to give or to try to squeeze two hours into 30 minutes. So I'm going to do my best to try to have a healthy pace as I go through uh, this evening. All right. But of course, on a more serious note, the, the most important thing is that the Word of God is taught, and I, I pray and hope that what I do present is, is strictly from God's Word and that this will be of benefit to you. So in Acts chapter 22, we see Paul in Jerusalem. And so I don't have to, well, I will put a map up of something else later, but you don't have to see where he goes because this whole chapter is in the city of Jerusalem. Okay, Matthew talked about this last week, and I just want to quickly hit this real quick because I, I just think it's uh, important, and I think it's just good to see Paul's heart in this, and it's going to lead into a point that I want to make tonight. Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem. That was definitely on his heart for, for quite a while before he got there to where we're at in Acts 22. In Acts 18 and verse 21, he said he bade them farewell, and he said, I must by all means keep the feast that cometh in Jerusalem. So that's Acts 18, verse 21. He said there, I want to get to Jerusalem to be there for the feast. In Acts 19, verse 21, he said, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I had been there, I must also see Rome. So I think it's, it's interesting to notice here that Paul said that he's going to go to Jerusalem, but after he went to Jerusalem, that he's going to go to Rome. So I don't know if if that was just the desire of his heart or if God had revealed something to him and he knew, which uh, later, trying to remember Acts 23, the chapter after uh, Acts 22, obviously, he, uh, Jesus, or he's told that he will get to make it to Rome. But whatever Paul said, or yeah, he said he wanted to go to Jerusalem then go to, to Rome. Okay, Acts 20, verse 16, the next chapter. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible, for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. So earlier, the verse said he wanted to be there for the feast day. We see what feast day it's talking about here. He wanted to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Now, in the chapter that Matthew studied with us last night, he did an excellent job last week. Um, as he has sailed and... Uh, finally gotten pretty close to Jerusalem at this point. He's, I don't know if he's 40 or 80 miles at this point. I think this is where he's at the closer town. So he's about 40 miles from Jerusalem whenever this is said right here. And the people in that town, in, and then including the people that were with Paul, they were telling Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. This is a terrible idea. Please don't do that. But in verse 13, Paul answered, what mean ye, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I'm ready not to be bound only, but to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying, the will of the Lord be done. So they kept pleading with him, please don't do this. This is not going to be good for you. And Paul said, y'all are making this hard on me. You're making it hard for me, but I'm going. So you either, you either like it and you go with me, or you don't like it and you stay here, whatever. I'm going. Because that's what it said in verse 14. It said, when, when he wouldn't be persuaded, in other words, they tried. Like, they, you know, told him multiple times, don't do this. He every time said, I'm going. I'm going. So you can do whatever you want to. So it's, they said, we ceased and said, let the, the will of the Lord be done. So that was definitely his, his, uh, his desire, was to go to Jerusalem to preach there. So what we're about to read here in Acts 22 is basically a cliffhanger from where we were at in Acts chapter 21. So um, in Acts chapter 21, verse 21, this is the problem that the Jews at Jerusalem are going to have with Paul. 
It says here, and they, I'm sorry, and they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. So this is the problem that these Jews that we're seeing here have with Paul is that he's, he's teaching the Gentiles that they can be saved, well, that they can be saved in the first place, but especially that they can be saved without doing these works of, that Moses had commanded them to do, including circumcision and other customs. So that's the, the problem that they have. So in the, in the, you know, kind of the last half of chapter 21, the Jews at Jerusalem, obviously they start a ruckus with Paul. So he's come into, he's come into Jerusalem and not, he didn't just come in and just, you know, try to kind of lay low and not, not really be seen. He goes into the temple. He goes right in the middle of everything. He just goes right into the temple. So when they see him in there and they, they realize that he's in there, they rip him out of the temple to get him out of there. And with this, this commotion that's going on, uh, the Roman chief captain runs in and he's trying to figure out what in the world is going on with, with what is happening there. There was such a mess that the captain couldn't even hear what was being said. So he couldn't figure out what was going on. So what he decides to do is he decides to pull Paul away from the crowd so that he can try to figure out what, what was going on. And I thought it was funny from what Matthew uh, talked about last week is all of these people are here beating up on Paul and he's down underneath there and this Roman comes in and pulls him apart and he looks at Paul in there on the ground for getting beat up a little bit and says, well, what did you do? And I, that, that, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, as Titus said, it may have been like, man, what did you do to get these people this mad? So that may have been the way it was said. Okay, and then, uh, so the, the captain starts to lead Paul into the castle, as the King James uh, says it. Most other translation says into the barracks. So whatever that was, the captain starts to lead Paul up into this, this place. And as, as the captain, the Roman captain is taking Paul up into this castle or the barracks, Paul asks the captain if he can ask him a question. Now, I think this is interesting. I'll talk about this more in just a second. But the captain asks Paul if he spoke Greek excitedly, implying that Paul, you know, spoke to him in Greek, which is, you know, not, a, not really surprising, really. But um, it's obvious here that, that Paul spoke to the, the Roman captain in Greek when he asked him that question. So the captain says, well, before, I, before you ask your question, what I want to know is, were you the Egyptian who led 4,000 people out into the wilderness, into this wilderness cult or whatever? And I, I, to me, it's just funny. It's like, why did, why did your mind go there? I mean, that, that's just so weird. Why would you think that that would be me or anything? And Paul said, no, no, that wasn't me. You know, I wasn't involved in anything with that. But what Paul asks him after he says no is he asks him basically, can I use this literal platform to address this group of people here. They're standing up on these stairs. I, you know, it just, in my mind, they've walked up a little ways up the stairs and he's elevated like, you know, kind of like exactly like I am here. So he's standing up above this, this angry crowd of people and he asks the Roman captain, can I speak to these people? And so as Paul is standing there with this Roman soldier standing next to him from, from the way I read it, he stands, they stand there on the steps of those barracks together, and Paul gives the speech that he's about to give about what we're about to read here in Acts chapter 22. So that's what leads up to Acts 22. That's exactly where we're at. He's standing up on these stairs with this Roman guy standing right next to him, and he's about to give the speech to these people. So just quickly to break down the way I'm going to kind of look at Acts 22 is verses 1 through 21 is Paul's testimony or his, you know, 
um, talking about his conversion. He's going to tell them, you know, about how he was converted to the Jews. Verses 22 and 23, we're going to see the crowd's response to Paul telling them all the stuff he tells them. Verses 24 through 29, we'll see the chief captain interacting with Paul again. And then the very last verse, we'll see that Paul is unbound and that, well, I said he's brought before the Sanhedrin, but really the way it's worded, the Sanhedrin kind of was brought before him probably. So that's kind of the way it's broken down. All right, so beginning here in verse 1 of Acts chapter 22. He said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I now make unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith. So he's standing before these Jews. And notice how he addresses them, men, brethren, and fathers. These are his, you know, his countrymen, so to speak, or, or it is. And he says, hear ye my defense. So he's going to respond to the accusations that they put against him. And some of them are direct responses that would satisfy them. Some of them were responses that wouldn't make them happy. So he's going to give a defense about what's going on here. But in verse 2, it says, they heard him speaking in the Hebrew tongue to them. And when they heard that, they kept the more silence. Now, as I study this, whenever it says here that he spoke in the Hebrew tongue, a lot of translation says that this should actually say that he spoke to them in the Aramaic language, which was um, a very closely related uh, language. Um, as I was just reading stuff, somebody said it's kind of like the way maybe, you know, Italians speak in Spanish, how they have a lot of overlap, although they're not the same thing. Same thing between Hebrew and Aramaic. Some of them say that um, this should say Hebrew, but I, or that it should say Aramaic, but it says Hebrew. And that's what it says in the Greek, that he spoke in Hebrew. And one person said that um, it would make sense that he was actually speaking in Hebrew because whenever he started speaking that, they gave the more silence. The, the common language of those people where he was at is they would have spoken Aramaic. But whenever they heard Hebrew, it was like, um, it, was, it was fancier language or it was just more, it was more language closely related to not being common language, but being more related to, uh, you know, to, to what the law of Moses taught and to those, you know, religious things is what I'm trying to say. So they, they held that in high regard. I'm not sure. I'm going to take it from the way what the, what the scriptures say that it says that he spoke in the Hebrew tongue. Okay, I, I want to talk about this for just a second because this is one of those rabbit trails that I got off. And it speaks about this here. In just a few verses before, it talked about him speaking in Greek. Here it talks about him talking in Hebrew. So it was important to the writer. I'm going to talk about this for just a second about the languages that were spoken. Okay, Paul spoke Greek. We can see that from what, we, what I just talked about, Acts 21 and verse 37. Paul was raised in Tarsus, and we're about to read about that, which this was, Tarsus was a city in what's present-day uh, Turkey, southeast present-day Turkey, and that definitely would have been an area where they would have spoken Greek. And so as Paul was growing up, part of his growing up was in Tarsus, he probably very likely spoke Greek, and that probably was his first language was Greek. So, um, you know, whenever he spoke to the Roman, it was just his normal language. That, that was nothing to him. Paul also probably spoke Aramaic because, as we'll see, he was born in Tarsus and he probably lived there for the first part of his childhood. But we'll see also that he spent some of his childhood in, in Jerusalem, learning at the feet, of, uh, the feet of Gamaliel. So as he was in Jerusalem, the common language that those people would have spoken would have been Aramaic. So he would have had to have known the common language. And then on top of that, 
as he studied the law, he would have studied proper Hebrew. And then, of course, just to throw this in, the, you know, the official language of, of Rome was Latin. Now, Latin was a much newer language than Greek. Greek was a lot older than Latin. And from what I read, every place that I read this, every place attested the same thing, in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, if they didn't speak Aramaic, they pretty much spoke Greek. In the western side of the Roman Empire, they spoke more Latin. And so um, that, that's kind of what happened with that. And again, as I said, and this was a quote from, from somewhere, I can't remember from, from, from somebody from a long time ago, but they said Aramaic was the common speech of all non-Greek speakers in Western Asia. So uh, I just thought that was, was interesting. So Paul, in the first two verses, he said, okay, men, brethren, fathers, here's my defense. And he's speaking to them in the Hebrew tongue. So they got more quiet at that. Um, you know, one thing that, that I think is interesting also about that. I've, I've seen a few videos of this guy and uh, he's, a, he's an American guy, but he's learned to speak Chinese and he speaks it very well. And I think he knows some other languages, but I, I've seen uh, places where he's actually been in China and he starts speaking to people fluently from what they say. He's speaking fluently. He's speaking fluently in Chinese to these people. And as people are walking by, they're like turning their heads like, what, what is going on with this? It just, it just totally throws off. And that's the same thing what I see happening here as they realize, okay, this guy, he's speaking in Hebrew. He knows something. He knows something about the law. And that puts him above other people because you wouldn't just learn Hebrew to learn Hebrew. You would have, you know, you would have the, you know, to be a Jew basically to want to learn that. And so that just let them know, okay, there, there is something about this guy that we, we may need to consider. So he, um, he tells them, all right, here's my defense. And he's about to tell them about his conversion. His conversion is recorded in three places in Acts. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 21, that's just where it was recorded in the first place, where it just was the actual happening of what, what it happened there. Chapter 22, what we're about to look at tonight, verses 1 through 21, as he preaches to the Jewish crowd in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 26, verses 9 through 18, as Paul was preaching to King Agrippa in Caesarea. Okay, one thing also I noticed or that, that I saw is that the estimation of when, when uh, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, it would have been somewhere between 34 and 37 AD. And from everywhere I looked, it said that Acts 22 probably happened around 57 AD. And so this is about 20 years or maybe even a little bit more 20, than 20 years. So it's been 20 years from the time Paul has has met Jesus on the road to Damascus to the time he's about to give this testimony. So this is a long time after when that was done. All right, pick it up now back here in verse three. So again, Paul here standing on these steps, speaking to these Jews here in Jerusalem. He said, I'm verily a man, which am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way into the death, binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders, for whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were, which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. So Paul tells them, look, y'all have made all these accusations against me. And I'm going to get into that in just a second. But he said, you made all these accusations against me. But he said, I'm a Jew just like you. 
And he's, he's saying, y'all are accusing me of being against you or whatever. He said, I am, I am y'all. I am a Jew. So, you know, he said, I was born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. But he said, I was brought up in this city. Obviously, he's in Jerusalem. So he said, I was brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. So at some point in his childhood, you know, I'm sure he would have been a little bit older. So, I, you know, I don't know, just guessing, maybe 10, 11, 12, something like that. Who knows? He came to Jerusalem to study at the feet of Gamaliel. And he said he was taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. So he's speaking in the Hebrew tongue to them. And he says here that he was taught the law. And, you know, if you were about to be killed by a group of people, you know, if, you, if your heart wasn't changed by the word of God, you may want to lie about who you are so that you can keep yourself from being killed. And, you know, that'd be a natural reaction for somebody just to lie so they could get out of that. Well, he's proving here he's not lying. He's proving, I'm speaking to you in the Hebrew tongue. I mean, that proves that I do know the law, that I've studied the law. And so he's just giving validity to who he is. He said, I persecuted this way. And this way is, is obviously referring to Christianity, to those who follow Christ. He said, I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering them in prisons, both men and women. So he said, this was not a minor conviction that I had. You know, sometimes we, we, may, we may take up some cause, but then as soon as there's any resistance whatsoever, it's like, yeah, you know what? It's not worth that fight. Never mind. Forget that. Paul is saying, this was not a minor conviction to me. This wasn't just some little thing that I held to, you know, what the, how zealous y'all are. He said, I, I went out and I persecuted them unto the death. That's how seriously I took this. And again, uh, another point here is that he is giving a testimony. He, he's given the account of his conversion here in the town that he grew up in. So it's not like he's some far off place where they can't, they can't verify this. This is things that they could go and see that this is absolutely true. And he said, as also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders for whom also I received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus um, to, for them to be punished. Okay, so back in Acts 21 and verse 28, this was, this was the other accusation that they made against Paul. They, cry, they were crying out, men of Israel, help. This, so this is the Jews in Jerusalem speaking about, um, speaking about Paul. He said, this is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people. There's one accusation against the law and this place, speaking of the temple. And further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. So there's three accusations that they made, that he's hostile towards Jew, he, Jews. He does not like Jews. Number two, he's hostile towards the Jewish law. And number three, that he was desecrating the temple. Well, we're going to see, I mean, and we see in, in what we've already read and, and further in what we read, that he answers these three accusations. Number one, they said he was hostile towards the Jews. Well, number one, I mean, he said, okay, I am a Jew. I'm a Jew by birth. I was educated in Jerusalem under the very well-respected Gamaliel. And he said, I was zealous for God and persecuted the Christians, just like what you're, what you're doing today. So he said, you, you have no leg to stand on in that accusation. That's absolutely, that, that's nothing. You can't, you can't go there. Number two, they talked about him having a contempt for the Jewish law. Now he spoke in the Hebrew tongue. He, taught, he told them he was taught under Gamaliel and that he was taught the law. So 
He didn't have a contempt for it, but this really is more important. He teaches them that he was converted from Judaism, not because of his hatred for the Jewish law, but because of the divine revelation and because his acceptance of Jesus. So he didn't hate the Jewish law. And it's just like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, whenever he said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And that's going to be kind of, you know, Paul's deals. It's not that it's, it's not that I want to throw it in the trash. It's just that it doesn't, it's not binding on us anymore. We can go there. As he said in Romans 15 and verse four, that those things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And they're, they're good for that, but they're not binding on us anymore. So he didn't despise the law like what they thought. And then thirdly, the desecration of the temple, even after he became a Christian, he still went to the temple and not that he thought of it as being a place, the place to worship anymore, for sure as what Jesus taught about in John 4, and I'll get to that later, um, that Jerusalem would not be the center of worship. For sure, the temple is not the center of worship anymore. That has nothing to do with that. Um, And he even had a divine uh, vision where Jesus spoke to him while he was in the temple. Okay, so Paul said he was from Tarsus, and and this is just Google Maps. So this is just present day everything, what you're seeing here. Um, And Tarsus is up at the top, and then Jerusalem's down here. I had a little bit of zoomed in of that. So Tarsus is kind of up around there. That's where he's from. And then Jerusalem is down here. And if you can see there uh, on Google Maps, it says it's a 12 hour and 47 minute drive. So uh, that's where he was born in Tarsus. But he, he spent time under the feet of Gamaliel in Jerusalem as he was growing up. Okay, now continuing on in verse six, it says, and it came to pass that as I, as I made my journey was come nine to Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Oh yeah, and I forgot. I am huge on red letter version. I love, love, love red letter version. And I don't buy Bibles unless they're red letter. And so red letter doesn't show up good, show up good on black or white. So I use, so this is the yellow letter version. And I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spoke to me. So now again here, Paul is in Jerusalem. He's talking to these Jews and he's telling them about what happened to him 20 years earlier and how he went from Jerusalem and he was going up to Damascus. And I forgot to mention that you can see Damascus right, right there, just, you know, a little ways North of Jerusalem. So he said, I was going to Damascus to go and get some of these Christians. And he said, as I was going um, in verse six, suddenly a light from heaven shone around me. And he heard this voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, and he said, I answered to him, Lord, um, who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. So he says, and they that were with me saw the light indeed and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, arise and go into Damascus, and there shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. So he said, who, who, who are you? Who's speaking to me? And, G- and Jesus said, it's, me. it's Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. And he said, okay, what do you want me to do, Lord? He said, go into Damascus and just go there, and it, it'll, you'll figure out what needs to happen from there. 
And then, of course, we know about Ananias, a devout man according to the law. Um, and we know from, from the earlier account of this that Ananias, you know, it's, it's really not mentioned here, but Ananias was kind of worried about this. But here we just see that, that uh, he comes and he's going to tell uh, Paul exactly what he needs to do. So in verse 13, it says, Came unto me, speaking of Ananias, coming to Paul, and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sign. In the same hour I looked up upon him, and he said, the, the God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. So when, when Paul, Paul says, whenever I got to Damascus, I, I didn't know what to do, but this man Ananias came to me and he said, receive your sight. And he said, the same hour I looked upon him. And, he, and it was told to him that he had been chosen and that he was going to, uh, to go and to preach Jesus. Now we get into verse 16 here. And so again, Paul's saying, this is what Ananias told me. He said, and now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. This is, um, this is to me, one of, one of the strongest verses. I, I don't know if I should say that. It's, it's a very good verse for us to show people the importance of, of baptism. And of course, that we have the right perspective on that. And it's just very clear what he said here. Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So he, he told him in your baptism, that's when your sins are going to be washed away. As I was studying for this, I, I was just, you know, just Googling stuff. And I ran across this website that uh, this person didn't believe uh, that baptism is, is essential for salvation. And uh, he said this, some interpret this verse to mean that water baptism washes away our sins. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what it says. So that's, that's the way I, what I think it means. Looks pretty clear. But if, if it is this teaching that then dozens of other verses that say that our sins are forgiven by grace only, are basically, they're, you know, they're, they're meaningless. But his understanding of what baptism is keeps him from accepting the plain language of what's taught here. So I'm going to spend just a little bit on this real quick. John 3 and verse 5, Jesus answered uh, to Nicodemus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We have to be born of water and of the Spirit. Of course, there's no other way that we can be born of wa water um, besides being born uh, in, in baptism. Mark 16, 15, and 16, Jesus said this, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus said very clearly, Jesus said very clearly, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Acts 2, 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Again here, Peter giving, uh, you know, the commandment to, to these people here on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, telling them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, for the remission of sins. You know, I cannot make God accept anything that I make up myself. You know, if I was just thinking, okay, what can I do to make, to make God happy with me? Let me, just, let me just think about some things here. Okay, let, let me do that. And let me do this and this and this. If I just started coming up with stuff and say, okay, God, I came up with, I came up with the plan. 
Here's what I'm going to do. And you, you better accept that. Nope, that ain't going to happen. Isaiah 64 and verse 6, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The things that, you know, I try to come up with myself that I think is good is like filthy rags. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, it says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting of the way of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, it says very clearly here that the figure whereunto baptism also doth now, doth now save us. I mean, it says clearly here that baptism saves us. And of course, people go to the figure idea there, but the figure is speaking about uh, them being saved or Noah being saved in Noah, or I can't remember, or Moses in the Red Sea. I'm sorry, I just blanked out on that. But one of those two being saved in water. It was Noah. Yes, it was Noah, sorry. Um, was saved by water. It's, it's referring back to that. That's figure of, of baptism saving us. But what it says here is it's not the putting of the way of the filth of the flesh. And I just heard Callan talking about this a little bit ago before service. Now, people accuse us of that we think that the water is what saves us. And that is absolutely not it. And that's what Peter says here. It's not you washing the dirt off of your skin. That's not what saves us. It's the answer of a good conscience towards God. That's the part of it that saves us. It's that God said, I want you to be baptized. That's the process that I want you to go through. And it's me saying, okay, I... I mean, I, I see that this is a figure of Jesus dying. I see that this is like him dying and being put in the grave and coming forth from that. And as I'm buried in the water, it's like me going into a grave and coming out. I don't really know how you're doing this, Lord. But since you asked me to do this, I'm going to do it the way you asked me to do. I'm going to do this in faith. That's what, that's what in baptism is what saves us, is it's the answer of the good conscience towards God. He asked me to be baptized in water. I'm going to do exactly like he asked me to do. And when I do that, then I'm doing what I'm supposed to. In Colossians 2 and verse 12, it says, Buried with him in baptism, where also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Baptism is an operation of God. It is not me operating on myself. It's not like, you know, I just decided, you know what? Or if somebody in, in our past said, Baptism is a good idea. Let's, let's just start doing that. Maybe God will accept that. No, he told us to do that. So whenever I do what God has asked me to do, it is him operating on me. That's what the verse says. When I'm baptized, I have faith in the fact that God is operating on me. That's, that's what about that matters. Baptism is an act of faith. We can read about uh, Abel offering his sacrifice. He did that by faith. Noah being warned of God. He did that through faith. He moved. He had to do something to be saved. Um, Abraham, when he was called out to leave his homeland, he got up and left. He couldn't just say, okay, I agree with you. I need to leave. And then didn't leave. He was told to leave and he left. He did what he was told to do. In James 2 verses 14 through 16, it says, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man may say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one saying to him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? 
Faith without works is dead. And that's the point he's making here. If I say I believe in God and I see that he asks me to do something, I, you know, I better do that. I better do what he's asked me to do. It's something I, I was reading uh, in Matthew recently about, you know, the building the house on the sand and building the house on the rock. And I've known about those verses for a long time, but it, it never really hit me until I read it the other day that the difference between those two is that they both listened. It's just that the one that built their house on the sand listened, but didn't do it. The one who built their house on the rock listened and they did it. And that's what happens when, when, when we see in the word that God asks us to do something and I do it, I'm acting in faith. Even so faith, if it hath not works is dead being alone. Okay. So getting back now to Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 17. So again, we're continuing here, Paul still talking to these Jews here in Jerusalem. It says, and it came to pass that when I was coming again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. So Paul said, after I met, you know, after uh, I was in Damascus and, and I did all that with Ananias, and after I was baptized, he said, I came back to Jerusalem and he said, I was in the temple. And in verse 18, he says, and, uh, and saw him saying unto me, Again here, Jesus speaking, make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, uh, death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. So again here, Paul is, to me, it's, it, you know, it's kind of lay, several layers on top of itself here, but he's, He's here in Jerusalem talking about what happened to him in Jerusalem 20 years earlier. And I, I think it's interesting to note here at that point, 20 years earlier, Jesus told Paul, you, you need to get out of Jerusalem because they're not going to listen to you. And here Paul is back 20 years later, he's in Jerusalem and he's talking to these exact same people. And, you know, I, I'm sure when Jesus told him that there was a specific reason that he told him to leave at that point. But now Paul is back in the exact same place, and he's, he's trying, to, uh, trying to teach them about Jesus. All right, what I want to notice here, and uh, a lesson that I want us to learn as we, as we look through here, is that Paul took advantage of his opportunity. In Matthew 10, verses, Matthew 10, verses 18 through 20, Jesus is speaking to uh, the apostles and what he's talking to them, and I didn't get that in red letter, I should have, but uh, when he's speaking, speaking to the apostles here, this is only to the apostles what he's talking about here. Or by extension, those who received, I guess, the gift of the Holy Spirit from, directly from the apostles. But in Matthew 10, verse 18 through 20 says, And he shall be brought before, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake and for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Now again, this promise is given specifically to the apostles. And like I said, it may be by extension those who received the, the gift of the Spirit from the apostles. So this, is, this has been done away for, you know, for a very long time now. But he said here, if, when you go and you stand before governors and you stand before kings, he said, don't, you don't have to worry about what you're going to say because he said, I will give you the words to speak. 
He said, the spirit of your father will speak in you so you will know what to speak to these governors and to these kings. Now, if you think back to the verse we read earlier, Paul said, I want to go to Jerusalem. And then he said, eventually, I want to go to Rome. And I, I truly believe that Paul is not doing stuff by accident. Like the way I live my life, things just kind of accidentally happen here and accidentally happen there. Paul truly, I believe, was, you know, as we say now, was playing 40 chess. I truly believe that. And I think that he knew exactly what he was doing as he was going back to Jerusalem because he knew that that was going to get him his boat ride to, to Rome so that he could speak to Caesar. And all of that to play back to this, Paul knew that there was not going to be very human beings, very many human beings on the face of the earth who were going to have this ability. There was not very many people who would have the ability to have the Holy Spirit speak directly through them as they spoke to kings. And so he took advantage of that opportunity. You know, he could have said, I've already lived a pretty hard life and I just, I'm gonna kick back and retire. That's not, that's not the attitude that Paul had. He knew there's not many people who have the gift that I have. I'm going to use that gift so that I can make my way to Rome to speak to Caesar himself. And whether, you know, whether he knew for sure he was going to do that or not, that was his goal, I believe. And because that's what he said, he wanted to go to Rome. Paul had a specific skill set and gifts that had been given to him. And of course, he had, uh, you know, on top of that, he had the, the Holy Spirit directly in him to, to give him that extra set. But the lesson I want to take from this is we all have a skill set that we've been given. We all have gifts that we've been given. We need to take advantage of those skills and talents and use them to God's glory. I speak about this a lot, and I, and I do because I think it's so important for every single one of us to realize we all have some way that we can reach other people. We have some way that we can influence people. We need to make sure that we do everything we can to use our talents. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11 and 12, it says, but all these worketh, uh, but all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as, uh, as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Here he's talking about all the different members. They all have their own abilities. They have their own responsibilities. But when, when those things work together, the body is able to function like it's supposed to. And... That's, that's what I want to do. I want to try to use my talents to the best of my ability. And of course, we all fail at that. Every single one of us, we fail at that. But it should be our goal to find that talent, those talents, whatever they are, our skill sets that God has given to us. Use them. Use them to the, to the best that we can. And don't just squander that. Don't let it just go to waste. Look to Paul as an example. Do everything you can to use that skill set so that you can bring glory to God. In Romans 12, 6 through 8, he says, having then, gifts um, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness." Of course, these are the verses that Hugh J. Uh, spoke on Wednesday night. But again, those gifts that have been given to us, just like Paul had been given his gifts and, and the special gift that he had been given, don't let those gifts go to waste. Use them. Use them to the best of your ability. Okay, 
Now in verse 21, so this is the, the last sentence or the last little bit that he's going to say to these Jews as he's standing here on the steps of, of this castle here in Jerusalem. So Paul said unto, or I'm sorry, Jesus, so again, Paul is saying this, that Jesus is speaking to him. He said unto me, depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. So that's what Jesus told Paul whenever he was in Jerusalem in the temple. Jesus told Paul, you get out of Jerusalem, get out of here. And he said, I'm going to send you a long ways away from here. And you are going to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay, so um, I want to just spend a little bit on this. I just started thinking in my mind, why is it that the Jews, and there's two issues that, that I want to talk about here real quick. Why did the Jews dislike the Gentiles so much? Okay, number one, when you hate someone as bad as they hated people, first of all, your heart's not right with God. So that's, that's broken in the first place. First John 4 and verse 20 says, you know, if, if you hate your brother, and I know that's probably talking maybe about your spiritual brother, but it says, if you hate your brother, how can you, you don't really love God. So when you hate somebody as bad as they hated people, you don't really love God. So they've got, I mean, that's the number one issue that their heart wasn't right with God. And so they weren't able to be made new in that sense. Okay, another reason why I think the Jews dislike the Gentiles so much, their history of the Gentiles, of the, the Gentiles persecuting them. The Amalekites um, and going, you know, other nations that we could talk about where they persecuted them. Another thing is that um, the Jews viewed the Gentiles as being pagans, and they were, uh, you know, uh, where they were polytheistic, where they worshipped many gods, where they were, had, um, you know, terrible forms of worship, sacrificing children, that type of stuff. So that was another thing as they thought about, uh, about that. That's another reason. Another reason they didn't like the Jews is they did not have Abraham's literal blood flowing in their veins. And, you know, they thought at that time that that, that, that just made them everything. And of course, of, of course, Abraham's family did have a special relationship with God. But at this time, you know, it, it didn't mean anything at, at this point. The Jews' world had been shaken by Christianity. This is another reason for, for this specific set of Jews. The Jews' world was being shaken by Christianity. There was other world religions, but none of them started from Jerusalem. You know, all of this put together and more things, and the tendency of the human heart to want to be angry at things, all of that put together. And then another thing that I forgot to mention that I took out of here is, all of these things are a lot of these being taught to them for generation after generation. And there's, there's even other things that, that I thought of I just didn't include here. And some of these are things that are just, that are true, but it's just things that have been taught to them for generation after generation after generation. And all of these different things, it was just, just tons of reasons why they didn't care for the, for the Gentiles. Okay. So, I mean, obviously I, I think lessons we can learn from that is that, we need to love our, what, well, they considered them their enemies. They weren't even really their enemies, but we need to love our enemies. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully, despitefully use you and persecute you. Romans 12, verse 14, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Okay, in Romans 15, um, what, what I did is I tried to go back in the Old Testament and find verses that spoke about the fact that the Gentiles would be included one day. And I found some, but really, whenever I found this in Romans 15, this is really perfect because Paul quotes Old Testament verses as saying that this applied to the Gentiles being included one day. 
And I, I like translations that do this where it shows you exactly what the quotes are. Um, but in verse 8 of Romans 15, uh, he gives that quote, and that quote is from Psalms 18, verse 49. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 43, he, uh, well, in, in verse 10 of Romans 15, he's quoting Deuteronomy 32, verse 43, where he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. In Romans 15 and verse 11, he's quoting Psalms 117 and verse 1, where it says, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And in Romans 15, verse 12, he's quoting Isaiah 11, verse 1, where it says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. So Paul in Romans 15 goes back in the Old Testament and shows the Jews that even in the Old Testament, it promised that the Gentiles, it doesn't lay it out very clearly that that's true, but it does show that the Gentiles would be included in some way in the future. Okay, so the second issue really here is not that the Jews dislike the Gentiles, which they did that, that's for sure. But the real issue that's happening here in this chapter is that the Jews were mad at another Jew for trying to save a Gentile. So they weren't really mad at the Ephesian Gentile that was brought into the temple. They were really mad at Paul. And, you know, there's lessons we can take from that. So it was that one Jew mad at another Jew for trying to reach this person that they considered unworthy of God's grace. And I, I think that, you know, it's obvious the, the lesson that we can take from that, that as people reach out, we need to, of course, do it according to God's will, do it the way that he tells us to do that. But we, we all need to reach out and we need to be happy when people are reaching out to bring people to Christ in the way that, that Christ wants them to come to him. Okay, Acts, uh, so in 22 and 23, it says, and gave audience unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air. So after Paul said, that Jesus had sent him to go to the Gentiles, that was it. I mean, they just absolutely lost their minds at this point. So in Jerusalem, after he said he was sent to the Gentiles, they said, okay, who, who needs him to say anything else? This dude, just get him off of the face of the earth. Get him six feet below the ground. Get him out of here. There's nothing else he has to say. We've heard enough. Get rid of him. And so as they do that, they start going crazy. And the Romans, of course, as he's already starting to go up the steps, they just go ahead and get on in so that they can get away from what's going on. Okay, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade him that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know where they cried so against him. In verse 25, and as they bound him with, uh, with tongs or leather straps, it says, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by him, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? So as they're starting to get ready, you know, lashing him down, ready to start whipping him, he says, oh, by the way, fellas, I'm a Roman citizen. And when the centurion in verse 26 heard that, he went and told the chief captain saying, take heed what, you, what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, tell me, art thou a Roman? And Paul said, yes. And the chief captain answered, with a great sum obtained I this freedom. But Paul answered and said, but I was, uh, was freeborn. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. So Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen and they stop everything. It's like, oh, okay, whoa, hold, hold the phone here. We need to figure out what we need to do here. So they go and they tell the chief captain, this, this guy says he's a Roman citizen. And he comes and he said, and the, the, the chief captain said, okay, I paid 
to become a Roman citizen. He said, I gave a bunch of money for this. But Paul said, I was freeborn. So Paul is, is a Roman citizen. It, I mean, he says it very clearly here. Nowhere as far as I know, does it say how he was a Roman citizen. We don't know how he was a Roman citizen. There was a speculation that, um, that the people of the city that he lived in or the region that he lived in, they helped one of the Caesars in, in some of the battles that they fought. And so they made Tarsus a free city. Some said that um, maybe Paul's dad or maybe Paul's granddad served in the Roman army. And because of that, he obtained his Roman citizenship. That's all speculation. Nowhere in the scriptures that I know of does it say that for sure. But as soon as the, the Roman captain figured out that he was a Roman citizen, they said, okay, we, we've got to stop this. And not only that, it says that the captain was afraid because he didn't know, he didn't know that, that that was the case, that Paul was a Roman. And then in verse 30, it says on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty whereof he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. And so at this point, this is the next morning, this, this Roman guy is just trying to figure out what to do here. He, he doesn't really know how to approach this. So he's going to bring them, bring him, set him before the Roman council or the Jewish council here, the Sanhedrin, and try to figure out what's going on. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Talked about that. Okay. One thing I want to say quickly is, you know, Jerusalem was the place where, where worship was centered at. But in John 4, Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, the hour is coming whenever people are not, basically they're not going to worship here. It's not going to be centered in Jerusalem. And I think it's just interesting to see, obviously, hear what Jesus said, is that no longer is the Jewish law in effect at, at this point, and that no longer is, is Jerusalem where, where God is worshiped that he's worshiped everywhere, that it's in these far off places now. It's in Ephesus and Thessalonica and, and these other places. Okay. So that, that's the study I have for this evening. I hope that, um, that uh, I've helped you and, and maybe thought about something you hadn't thought about was, was a good uh, chapter for me to study. If you're here this evening and you have a need of the congregation, if, you, um, if you've been taught the gospel and you'd like to obey that tonight, we would love to assist you in that. If you're ready to, to be baptized this evening, uh, we would love to help you with that. If you're here and you're struggling with something and you need um, the prayers uh, from the saints here, we would love to help one of either class. If you need help in any way, please come to the front as we stand and sing.